It is good to be back. Uh, before I forget, because I will forget, uh, Pete and Alice uh, just arrived, and they're asking that anybody who helped them move, um, go see them after uh, service, and they have a little something for you all. Um, it's uh, always good to see uh, fellow brothers and sisters uh, helping each other out. So I've been gone for just about two weeks, missed uh, last Sunday. Uh, I was at Fuel uh, with a number of our youth, had a great time there, always uh, one of my favorite weeks of the year. Um, and then uh, we went straight from Fuel to South Carolina and spent some time with Jamie's family. And then a general conference was also in South Carolina at Guthrie Grove, uh, so we uh, spent some time at the conference there. Um, as Mark mentioned, uh, we, or I got uh, my uh, license in the ministry. Um, it was awesome that uh, there were five of us up there, and I got my uh, license with a fellow brother in, in the ministry, John Tolis. Uh, I got my license with my brother-in-law, uh, Josiah. I got my license with one of my roommates from the Bible college, and I also got my license with someone whom I look up to, and Dan Gill. So that was a huge blessing uh, to finally receive my ministry. Uh, Russ asked me, uh, have you just been pretending this whole time then? Yes. This is, now I'm officially the real deal. I'm officially uh, a minister, so I've just been pretending this whole time, but here I am now. <laughs> so it's good to be back. It feels like I've been gone uh, for quite some time. So if you Remember, uh, we are currently in the middle of a series um, entitled Heroes of Our Faith. We started it a number of weeks ago. Um, the first week we talked about Daniel, and Daniel is a great hero of our faith. And we learned the great lesson that Daniel was not willing to compromise his standards, no matter what was thrown his way. He wasn't willing to eat the king's food and the king's drink, even though his peers around him were, were eating the food that Daniel thought would defile his body. And then also, we, many of us may know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was not even willing to compromise his standards of seeking God and pleasing God, so much so that he was, be, he was willing to be thrown into a den of lions. And then the following week, we, we talked about um, Paul, and, uh, or formerly known as Saul, and Paul is one of uh, the greatest heroes of our faith as well. But Paul was not always a great hero of, of our Christian faith. Paul was a very zealous Jew. He, he took his faith very seriously. And we learned a couple of, of lessons from the story of Paul and his conversion. Um, is that sometimes you have to hit rock bottom. Paul had to hit rock bottom before he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So sometimes we have to hit rock bottom. With that, and with that said, there's always hope for someone. There's always hope for someone. And third, we, we learned that God can use anyone. God can use anyone. He was even willing and wanting to use Paul, someone who, who led many Christians to their death. And last week, as I was not here, uh, John spoke, uh, and I was able to listen to that. I watched that, and uh, John spoke about some of our B-list heroes, some of the heroes mentioned in the conclusion of Colossians, and, and the similarity between all those heroes, kind of common day folk, kind of like you and I, is that they were willing to serve. They were willing to serve. That, that's what made them special. That's what made them heroes of the faith. And you and I, if we just have the willingness to serve, that we can be heroes just like some of the heroes found in our scriptures. 
And so this morning, uh, the hero that we're going to be talking about is David. And now David is my favorite hero of our faith. Does anybody else have David as their favorite hero of the faith? A A couple of you guys out there. Yes, David is my absolute favorite. And there are so many great stories that, that come to mind when, when I think of David, and I was trying to contemplate what all do I talk about when talking about David, uh, but we're just going to talk about one story uh, this morning, as I didn't want to uh, spoil uh, the whole life of David, because there's a lot to talk about in, in the life and the ministry and the kingship of David. Um, he's regarded as the single best king of Israel, the best king of Israel, King David, the king whom it was prophesied that Jesus one day would sit on his throne. And, and, and his throne and his house would be established forever through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so David was a king, but the Israel did not always have kings. We, we start off with, with the nation of Israel as descendants of Abraham. As Abraham's grandson was named Jacob, and he later changed his name to Israel. And so Jacob's family, they, they moved to Egypt. They lived in Egypt for about 400 years. Uh, we've talked about uh, the story of the Israelites in Egypt before um, in depth. And they spent 400 years in Egypt, 430 years in Egypt. And God freed the Israelites from Egypt uh, through uh, the hand of Moses And so after they were freed from Egypt, Moses and the Israelites, they wandered in uh, the wilderness for about 40 years, trying to find their way back to the promised land, the land that God promised to Abram in in Genesis chapter 12. And so they were wandering, uh, they they would often slip up and such, and Moses led them right across uh, from the Jordan River, right across the promised land. And so then Joshua took the Israelites, and he led the Israelites into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and other people already settled in Canaan. So Joshua led the Israelites with the conquest of, of Canaan as they uh, destroyed and captured many of these different other people and cities that were already uh, living in Canaan. And while they were living in Canaan, after they conquered most of Canaan, they never really fully established and possessed the promised land of Canaan. But as they uh, possessed a good chunk of it, the Israelites, they, they put judges in place that were to rule over them. And they would have many different cycles of judges. As a, a new judge would come, uh, they would be doing great. They, they would have their eyes set on God, but then the judge would die and they would all fall away from God, and they would all be uh, committing sin, and it would uh, grieve God, and then a new judge would come, and they would start to turn their life back around, and just a cycle of judges. And then after that, while they were dealing with the cycle of the judges, the Israelites, they wanted for, their, for themselves a king. They wanted a king. And so they were grumbling and they're complaining to God, God, give us a king. Every other nation around us has a king. Why can't we have a king? Well, well, God really was their king. God was their king. But, but regardless of say, God still granted them their wish and he gave them a king. And so the first king of the nation of Israel, does anybody know? Saul, yes, very good, yes. Saul was the first king of of the nation of Israel. And Saul was physically dominant. He was a physically dominant species. Uh, The scriptures describe Saul as being head and shoulders taller than than anybody else in Israel. And so he was a fine, nice, good-looking man. 
And so Saul was the first king of the unified nation of Israel. And so uh, as they were conquering, continuing conquering this land of Canaan, uh, God told Saul uh, to capture the city of Amalek. And God told Saul, when you go to capture this city, completely destroy it. As they were being a, a nuisance uh, to the Israelites, they were causing harm to the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness, as they were uh, finding their way back to the promised land. So God ordered uh, Saul and, and his men to completely destroy this city. Well, Saul, he, he took some army and he conquered the city, he captured the city, but Saul he did not completely de devote the city to destruction. Rather, he, he kept some of the best livestock and, and some of the best goods around, and they kept it for themselves. Well, that was a direct disobedience from God himself. And, and so God it says that God regretted that he made Saul king. And so God uh, gave Samuel, the prophet Samuel, the task of, of finding uh, the, the new king, another king to replace Saul, as Saul directly disobeyed the command and the order of God, and God regretted that he made Saul king. And so Samuel, he, he went around, God guided and directed him to this particular family uh, with the father of Jesse, who had uh, many different sons. And uh, Samuel eventually anointed David as the next king of Israel. And so here Samuel anoints David as there's anointing is a fancy word, something they did back then. They would often anoint someone with oil. But basically what it means when someone's anointed, that just means they are chosen or they are selected. And so David was selected or chosen to be the next king of Israel by the prophet of Samuel uh, who, who got the command from God himself. But, but David wasn't yet king. He was just picked to be king. Kind of like how Jesus was anointed or chosen to be the savior of the world and the king of the world. Well, Jesus right now, he, he isn't here on this earth. Even though he, he's anointed to be the one to come back and, and restore this world uh, to its former glory in, in the Garden of Eden, um, he, he's not here yet. And David anointed, but he's not currently the king. And so this is kind of where we pick up in our story. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to be reading the story that probably most of you guys are familiar with. We're going to be reading the story of David and Goliath. And so David was working under um, Saul as uh, Saul was tormented um, by uh, evil spirits. And so David came and played on his harp and played some music for him. And Saul was delighted in him. And David became the armor bearer of Saul. And so we continue the story or pick up the story in chapter 17 of the book of 1 Samuel. And it reads in 1 Samuel chapter 17, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkot and Azekah and Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. 
So what we see here is that uh, the nation or the Philistines, um, another group of people who caused Israel a lot of trouble, uh, they're going to battle against Israel. Here was the uh, Philistines encamped on one mountain, and Israel was encamped on another mountain. Uh, if you have that picture, um, Ben, if you could pull that up of where this was actually taking place. Um, this is, it, it took place in, in Elah Valley or the, the Valley of Elah. And so in the blue circle down at the bottom, that's where they believed that the Israelites were encamped kind of in, in that mountain area. And the red circle at the top, that's where the Philistines were, were camped. And that yellow circle is the Elah Valley where, where they came together and where they were squaring off against one another. Um, are many of you, any of you guys familiar with Bill Schlegel? Bill Schlegel, uh, he, he is someone who is in our conference now, but uh, Bill Schlegel, he lived in Israel, uh, I believe it was like uh, 20 to 30 years, and he lived in Israel, um, and he was a professor at a college or university over there in Israel, and uh, he was kicked out because of his biblical Unitarian uh, views um, that, that we hold to dearly, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's not necessarily God, but he's that, but that he's the son of God. And so Bill Schlegel, he was very familiar with the lands of Israel as he was a professor there, and, and he has a great, a great passion for the promised land. And so for those of you guys who went to Fuel, I don't know if you had a workshop uh, with Bill Schlegel, um, but Bill Schlegel, he had a class and he talked about the promised land. And, and Bill Schlegel has these personal pictures of these different areas of the land of Israel and uh, which events... Uh, uh, took place. And one of the pictures, this is his picture, but he had a picture of the Valley of e Elah, um, and he showed where the Israelites fought the Philistines. And I, I thought that was so cool. And, and in fact, in, in spring, uh, he's going to lead a group of people, and they're going to tour uh, the nation of Israel, um, which would be very interesting. Uh, he's an awesome guy, but it's awesome to see his personal pictures of the land of, the land of Israel and where these... Where, the th where these things actually took place. So we can know uh, that today, that this is a modern day picture, but it's cool to see where exactly the, these things took place. And so we continue the story in, in verse 4, as the Philistines and the Israelites, they, they were on these two separate mountains, and they were squaring off in, in this valley. And it says in verse 4, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. So here we see in this camp of the, the Philistines, they had this champion named Goliath. And it says that Goliath, uh, that he was six cubits and a span tall. Now, a cubit is about 18 inches. It's about the length of your elbow to your middle finger. Um, so it's a bit different for everyone, but it's about 18 inches, inches um, a cubit, and then a span was about nine inches. And so in, in our uh, standards, in our uh, measurements that we use, we can measure uh, this giant Goliath, this champion Goliath, as nine feet and nine inches. Now there's some controversy as if he was really nine foot nine inches. 
um, because, uh, long story short, in the Masoretic text, uh, it reads that Goliath was six cubits tall, but actually in the Dead Sea Scroll, um, a scroll of the Old Testament uh, that uh, is very old and so uh, can be trusted and valuable. And the Septuagint, the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, they both read that it was four cubits in a span. So they, they think that Goliath was six feet and nine inches. But regardless, this man Goliath was a monster. I mean, six, six foot nine inches is still impressive because they believe that the people back then were, were a bit shorter, a bit smaller than us, as they didn't have the same nutrients that we have access to today. They don't have the same health advancements. So this guy was a giant. He was a champion, and he was feared. This guy was so muscular and such a beast that his armor weighed 125 pounds. 125 pounds of armor. I, I couldn't imagine walking around with, with 125 pounds. When, when I graduated high school, I was about 125 pounds. So I couldn't imagine carrying another one of myself as, as I graduated high school. And the tip of his spear, the head of his spear, weighed 15 pounds. That, that's incredible. This is one strong dude. This is sometimes referred to as a giant. He was a champion. And so we continue the story in, in, in verse 8, and it reads, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So here, the, this, this muscular dude, Goliath, he, he's shouting to the camp of Israel on, on the other mountain. He was shouting and saying, come, someone, one of you guys, come and fight me, if you dare. Come and fight me, and if you beat me, then us, the Philistines, will serve you, the Israelites. On the flip side, though, if you send a man to come fight me and your man loses, then you, Israelites, should be our servants. So there was a lot at stake right here. Uh, if it was a matter of one nation serving another, just based off of one single battle between one guy and another guy. And, and the odds were obviously stacked in Goliath's favor as he was a champion. And when King Saul, who again was a big guy himself, it, it described that he was uh, head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel, he feared Goliath. It, it said there in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were afraid of this guy, Goliath. And so the story continues, and we won't read all of it, um, but David, he was not at uh, the battle scene. Um, rather, his three oldest brothers were, were fighting for Israel. David was rather uh, keeping uh, the flock. He was shepherding the flock that his family had. Well, his father, Jesse, was concerned for his three oldest uh, brothers 
um, David's three oldest brothers, his three oldest sons, and, and he told David to take some grain and some bread and take it to your brothers that are getting ready for battle against the Philistines. And so David did just that. Um, he, he brought some bread to his brothers and to, to the other guys there. And so we pick up in verse 24 as David arrives uh, to the scene. It says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, that being Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him, In the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. So here again, uh, this Philistine, this champion, uh, Goliath, is still breathing threats against the Israelites. And, and the Israelites, they're scared. They're, they're getting pretty desperate. They want someone to take care of business against this champion, Goliath. And so Saul says that whoever uh, defeats Goliath in victory, Saul will make him a rich man. I imagine a very rich man. And on top of that, Saul said he was willing to give his daughter uh, to marriage to, this, to whoever defeats Goliath. And he'll have his father's house free in Israel. So there was a lot to, uh, for stake. There's a lot up for grabs for the one who was to defeat this champion Goliath. As Saul was desperate for someone to defeat this champion Goliath. And, and David's eldest brother, Eliab, uh, was mad that David even showed up to the battle. As I imagine he cared. For, for his young brother, as David w was just a young teen or, or a teen, and he wasn't really ready to battle. And so his older brother, who cared for him, is like, what are you doing here? You need to get out of here. You need to return to the flock. You need to return to our family's flock that are just in the wilderness now. And so his brother was, was not happy with him. And so we continue in verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to, to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and the circumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God." And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And so here David confronts King Saul and David says, all right, Saul, nobody else is stepping up to this champion Goliath. I'll be your man or your boy. 
I'll, I'll be your boy. That's, that's probably better to say. I'll be your boy. I'll be your guy to go up and take on this champion, Goliath. And Saul's initial reaction was, no, man, you're a youth. You're young. You can't fight this champion, Goliath. You're, you're just a boy. And this champion, Goliath, has been fighting ever since he was a boy. And so David uh, tells them about his stories of keeping the flock. And, and if a bear came or if a lion came, to, to eat the sheep or take his flock, then David would take down the lion or the bear on his own. I would like to see that. I have uh, a friend, uh, actually uh, Kayla's fiance, Luke, uh, who says, I could take down a mountain lion with my bare hands. So I was like, yeah, right, dude. Uh, but, <laughs> David, but David reportedly was able to take down a lion and, and a bear. And so he's telling this to Goliath. He's saying, if God, if my God was able to deliver me from the paw of a lion and a bear, then my God will surely deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. This man who is defying the armies of the living God, Yahweh. And so Saul can't really do much about it. He, he probably sees the passion that, that David has in taking down this champion. And so Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. And so we ask, why did David want to do this? The, the answer is uh, in verse 36, for it says, for, for can also be, also be translated as because. And when, when we say for, that, that can also mean because. And it says, for or because he has defied the armies of the living God. David could not stand that this champion Goliath was defying the armies of none other than the living God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And so we continue the story in verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So here David, uh, as the king Saul uh, finally agreed to let David go fight Goliath, uh, Saul says, all right, fine, but here, wear some armor. So David was trying it on, and remember, he, he was just a youth. He was probably just a teen. And this armor was probably really clunky on him and really heavy on him, and he never tried it on, and he said, no thanks. So he took the armor off. So he went to, to battle against Goliath with a staff and a sling, with no armor. He went to battle with a sling against a champion, uh, against a giant, against a beast or a monster, basically, who, who had 125 pounds of armor and a 15-pound tip of a spear. I mean, this guy was a champion. They called him a champion. And David was going to battle against his champion with a sling. And so the fate does not look well for David. And so we continue in verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. 
Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the, of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And so again, as these two armies are encamped on these mountains, and David and Goliath, they go to meet in the valley, as everybody can see them, and, and David approaches with just a staff and a sling, and Goliath, he, he has his guy there w- with all of his armor, and uh, he, he's just covered from head to toe in this armor that weighs 125 pounds, and Goliath was a bit offended, he said, who am I, a dog, that you're bringing these sticks? He, he was, are you kidding me? Are you going to bring the, this boy to me to fight me? Are you kidding me? This is the best that you have? And so Goliath started cursing David, and he started cursing the Israelites. And, but David replied, he said, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Wow, those are some big words for a little guy. Some big words in saying that he was going to take down Goliath this day because he has God on his side, the God of the armies of Israel, the God of all, the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. And so they go to battle, and again, fate not looking good for David as he's going to battle against this giant. And so we continue in verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Wow. Wow, so here they go to battle David and Goliath. And Goliath, obviously the bigger dude, he defeats David. Sad story. No, no, not at all. I'm checking if you guys were awake and you guys did not pass. Uh, <laughs> so as, as they go to battle, David and Goliath, they're, they're fighting, and David takes one, one rock from his sling, and he slings it, and he hits Goliath square in the forehead, and Goliath goes tumbling down, and he hits the ground, and David kills the champion Goliath with just a sling with just one single rock, one, one single wind up of the sling, and he killed the champion Goliath. And when the Philistines saw that, they, they, I imagine they were in shock and they fled the scene. 
So David kills the giant Goliath. Again, David just a teen. David probably not that big of a guy. And he took down the giant Goliath with just a sling. And we ask, why in the world was David here in the first place? Why did he take this task, accept this task of defeating the champion Goliath? And the answer to that is the faith that David had. David had faith. David, uh, David wasn't blind. He could obviously see that Goliath was a much bigger man, that he was clothed in armor, and that, ev- that the rest of the nation of Israel was afraid to fight this champion Goliath. But David knew one thing. David knew that the God of the armies of Israel, the, the living God, was on his side. And David had faith that God would grant him victory. What great, what tremendous faith David had in the story uh, of David and Goliath. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, uh, it states that faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. David was sure He was certain that he was going to receive victory from Goliath because he had God on his side. He was so sure and so certain that he came to battle with just a sling or or a staff and a sling. But he only used that sling and it took one one sling, one, one throw of that rock and David took down the giant. David was sure of victory. And now many people probably thought David was foolish for fighting Goliath. His brother Eliab thought David was foolish for even coming to the scene of battle. He said, what are you doing here, man? You need to get back to the flock. Because he didn't think David should have been there because David was just a boy. And so I can imagine the faith that David had caused him to look foolish in the eyes of many. But even though he he probably looked foolish to many, he maintained that faith. That certainty that God would deliver him victory. What tremendous faith that David displayed here in the story of David and Goliath, a story that many of us are probably familiar with, have probably heard in Sunday school a dozen times. But now in the story, David had faith that he was going to defeat Goliath. But the faith would have been no good if he hadn't accepted the challenge. It would have been no good if he had faith but didn't choose to fight Goliath. It would have been no good at all. Rather, Goliath probably would have killed some other Israelites, and and the, the Israelites probably would have been serving the Philistines. It would have been no good if David didn't act on his faith. But thank goodness, thank God, that David acted on his faith. The faith that David had convicted him to act. His faith convicted him to act. And that's the lesson that I want to draw from in the story of David and Goliath this morning. Is that we see that the faith that David had, it convicted him to act. And now raise your hand if you believe in God. Raise your hand if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Awesome. Awesome. 
That's great. We all have belief. We all have faith in God. We all have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you that faith is useless if that faith doesn't convict you to act differently. Your faith needs to convict you to act. The faith that David had would have been useless if it didn't convict him to act. We all, we all have belief. We, we all have faith. That's great. That's great. That, that, that's, the first step. that's the first step that a lot of people in this world don't have yet. We, we are ahead of the game. Awesome. Now we need to let that faith convict us to act. We need to act differently. Our faith needs to cause us to do stuff, to serve God and to serve his son and, and this coming kingdom. I mean, faith is extremely important. Faith is, is so big in the grand scheme of things. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 states that we are saved by God's grace through faith. We are saved by God's grace through faith. Grace is undeserved favor, and we don't deserve the grace. We don't deserve the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross. But let me tell you, that sacrifice is free for us. We didn't do anything. We, we didn't hang on that cross with Jesus. That sacrifice, that free gift of eternal life is free to us. And so we have a decision to make. We have two decisions. We can either accept that free gift, or we can choose to reject that free gift. And if you make the easy, simple decision to accept that free gift, you accept that through faith. Faith is how we accept that free gift of God, that free gift of eternal life, where we'll spend eternity with God and his son, Jesus Christ, in God's coming kingdom. We accept that gift through faith. Faith is so important. It is so important. And our faith needs to convict us to act. James says in James 2.17 that faith without works, or in other words, faith without acting upon it, is dead. It's useless. It's non-existent. In other words, if you have faith in God and if you have faith in Jesus Christ, but you do nothing about it, then James, then James says you don't even have faith. Your faith is dead. It's useless. It's in vain. The faith that we had, we, we, we all have that same belief that God is the creator and that Jesus is a son and that he died on the cross for our sins. That's great, but that needs to, we need to act on that faith. We need to act on that faith. And what does that look like? What does it look like to act on our faith? Well, we all believe that God is our father. We all believe that Jesus is the Christ. And we accept it through faith and we all know that God seeks a relationship with you and I. So you need to act on your faith by reading your Bible. Reading your Bible on a daily basis or close to a daily basis, acting on that faith. We need to be praying. The belief that we have that God can hear our prayers, that's awesome. That's awesome that we can know that God hears our, our, our every prayer, our every thought. Well, we need to act on that thought. We need to act on that belief. We need to act on that faith and start praying to God. We need to start acting by, by helping the needy, as Jesus told us to, to even help and serve our enemies. We need to be sharing the good news. 
We have a good news. We have the gospel message, but so many people out there are unfortunate and do not have that message. We need to be sharing this message. We need to be acting on our faith and making church a priority, making our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ a priority in our life. We need to be growing closer to God on a daily basis. We need, we need to be expanding his coming kingdom by sharing this message of the gospel. That's what acting on your faith looks like. Many, I imagine none of us are going to be slaying some giants. Maybe God has called you to do that. I won't say for sure, but I doubt it. I doubt any of us are going to be slaying giants. That's great if you have the faith that, uh, that you can do that, but we won't be doing that. Rather, we need, to, we need to be acting on our faith, and it's simple. It's the little things that we do day to day. It's the little daily activities and acting on our faith. Our faith needs to convict us to act. We need to be praying. We need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be helping the needy. We need to be sharing the good news. We need to be making church a priority in our life. We need to be growing closer to God on a daily basis, and we need to expanding God's kingdom. Because we have a faith, and that faith is dead if we don't put it into action. The faith that David had would have been useless if he didn't put that faith into action. And the same is true for us. If we don't put our faith into action, our faith is useless. It's dead. It's in vain. But rather, let your faith convict you to act convict you to lead a sanctified life from the rest of the world. Let your faith convict you to act differently. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for uh, this day. Uh, Father, I thank you for uh, the great example of David, uh, personally one of my favorite heroes of the faith. Father, I just thank you uh, for the tremendous example that David is and and that he was a man after your own heart, that he was a man that sought to please you. Father, I just pray that we can learn from his example this morning to put our faith into action. I pray that, that our faith that we have, this belief that we have that you're the God and that your son Jesus Christ is the Messiah, I pray that that faith, that that belief may make us act differently, that it can convict us to, to pray to you on a daily basis and, and read your word on a daily basis and share this good news that we have with others. Father, I just pray that you convict us this morning with your message, with your news, with, with, with your good grace. Convict us to act for you and your son and your coming kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.